Thanks, Zip. Hey, I'm glad God gave us a, uh, a guide for life, huh? <laughs> Amen. Man, well, I'm excited that we have a guest today. Um, it was a little bit unplanned for, for me in the sense that we're working through the book of Ephesians. But uh, in November, we're planning missions emphasis, where missionaries come in and speak to you about what, uh, the passion that God has in their, in, their, in their heart and what they're doing about that and those kinds of things. And um, uh, Brenna's on that tour, and, and I've uh, wanted Brenna to come speak to us for quite some time and just never found the right opportunity. But when I called her, she's like, I'm booked. And I was like, what? She's like, I'm available in March. I was like, that's too far away. And, uh, but then she had an opening. Um, a church accidentally double booked her today, so uh, she was free. So I said, come, let's come now, because I think, uh, and as she comes and speaks to you, the message that, that Brenna has and what she's doing uh, is right where God is leading us as, as we talk about loving God, loving others, belonging to community, um, and, and the message that she brings and the work that she does is, is, is profound. So um, she, uh, Brenna is an Assembly of God, uh, mis- uh, not missionary, minister, a missionary as well, but she's uh, credentialed with the Assemblies of God. She serves in Brockton, uh, Pastor Steve Warner. Uh, it's a fantastic church uh, there and just doing a lot of good things. So I'm just, I'm not going to steal any of her, what she's going to say. So if you'll just um, welcome uh, Brenna Kate Simmons this morning. Thank you, Brenna. Working? Oh, there I am. Hi. <laughs> All right. So I want to bring some of you back a little bit and just just track with me for a few minutes. You may think, why is she asking me this question? It will lead somewhere, I promise. How many of you remember your first childhood crush? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. What about the first time you really fell in love? I've been to a few churches where I asked that question and, and that they're still with that person. It's just pretty awesome. You guys, woohoo! How old were you? Tell me how old were you? You were when you first fell in love. How old were you guys? Fifteen, sixteen, eighteen. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I like con um, congregational. I always try, I have to stop myself from saying congressional. We are not in, thank God we're not in Congress. I like congregational participation. So be, get used to it. I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. Um, this is going back 30 years for me, but I was 15 when I first really fell for somebody. Um, I hadn't had the easiest life so far. I was born prematurely. I was actually born when my parents were on a business trip. That's how early I was. And I almost died because they were in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then as time went on, my mother became an alcoholic, and my father worked a lot to, to, to fill the lack that was there. Um, as a young child, I actually made friends fairly easy. I grew up in a small town, but then middle school came. I don't know what happened in middle school. Like, what switch was... I see some people are being like, amen, sister. I don't know what switch was flipped that all of a sudden I was a loser. <laughs> but that's what... <laughs> That's what happened. Um, my mother's alcoholism worsened. I couldn't really have friends over. Um, that, that transition into middle school, rough, rough, rough. Um, but even prior to that, I had this sense of rejection, this sense of maybe I'm not really lovable. Maybe I'm kind of a little bit worthless. And the bullying I experienced starting in seventh grade just solidified that belief for me. I, I'm like, clearly I'm uniquely flawed. Everyone knows I'm easy to pick on. Well, that changed in 1990 when I was 15. So now I'm 45. I'll, I'll save you from the math. Um, <laughs> when I really fell for somebody. Um, you know, we remember those days of young love where we, f where we feel, like, accepted and known, like you've, you've found something that, you know, this, this gift, this precious gift. Um, there was a little problem with this. I fell in love with a female. It was different time then. I always say for context, uh, I came out seven years before Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> You know, Ellen, we just call her Ellen now. She has her own talk show. It's kind of hard to imagine a world where a lesbian can't just, it's so accepted that she can have her own talk show, right? Um, 30 years ago, these things were not talked about, especially in small town New England, where I am from. Um, I didn't know how to make sense of my feelings, and then even when we entered into a physical relationship, I had no idea what to do. So I looked in this health book to try and get some answers. And the book said that if you're attracted to the same sex, that you're gay, especially if you act on it. And I thought, there it is, black and white, I'm a homosexual. It seemed I had no choice but to accept this part of myself. And as the years went on, the more I read, the more people I talked to, the more the message was ingrained, this is who you are. You were born this way. You have to completely embrace this or you will never be happy. I mean, even back then, that was the message. And so I believe that must be true, and I built my life around being gay. There is a young man in Scripture who felt he had no choice but to build his life upon the script he had been given and the set of circumstances he had been born into. I imagine his father instilling in him this sense of destiny and purpose, plus what it seemed he was called to was highly valued in that world. Why even consider there might be another path? So let's turn to Mark 10 and pray as we open God's word. Oh, it's so bright in here. 
So I, I have a large print Bible because I'm old. And, um, <laughs> but I always bring these glasses just in case. If the light isn't just right, I think I can see this. Okay, you got let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful for your word. Let us not take it for granted. There are still plenty of places in this world where not only can you not find a Bible, but they might not even have it in their language, Lord. But we have an abundance. <laughs> God, let us never um, take that for granted. And as we look to this story, to the story of this, this young man who's called the rich young ruler, let our hearts be open, Lord. As, as my pastor says, as we look to your word, let your word look to us. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you don't have the scriptures with you, the, they will be up. Hey, look, there they are. You are so good back there. Um, I think I do need my glasses. <laughs> As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. You know, the, 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 the um, zip set me up this morning a little bit. He actually quoted another story I'm going to quote later. Um, Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. (sighs) Obviously, this young man's story differs from mine just a little bit. It differs from those who identify as a term we say LGBT, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, You may be able to relate a little better to his story than to mine, and that's okay. But I want us for a second to stop and try and put ourselves in the shoes of someone who identifies as LGBT. Okay, You you guys willing to do that just for a second? All right. So we're going to look at some statistics. I use the term LGBT because the, the study, that, that's the group of people that they um, ask these questions of. Now, this is a secular study. This information was not gathered through any sort of religious sources. And a statistician, that's another word I had to practice, a statistician, um, both an evangelical statistician and a, a secular statistician, looked at the study to see if it was legit, if it was done well, and it was. Um, I got these statistics from a book called Us Versus Us by Andrew Marin. I don't agree with every conclusion he comes to in the book, okay, with the information. But the information itself is very eye-opening and at times heartbreaking, okay? So the study was nationwide. We live in New England, which is typically a little more unchurched than some parts of the United States, right? So... One of the things we look at is the comparison. The comparison of the LGBT person's experience with the general American population. The numbers themselves may be a little lower here in New England, but the comparison of those two groups are going to be fairly similar, okay? 
All right, so what percentage of the general American population do you think was raised in a community of faith? And hold on. The, the, for the purpose of the study, raised attending a community of faith on an average of a weekly basis from age 0 to 18. Okay? What do you think? 35? Anybody else want to guess? Nationwide. What do I, is that 52 or 25? Okay. <laughs> she held up her fingers, and I was like, which direction are we going? <laughs> yeah. Five? 75%. So now they're asking adults these questions, right? And this study was done about six years ago. Now, what percentage of LGBT people do you think were raised attending a community of faith on a weekly basis? Same? 50? 40? 86%. 86%. So LGBT people were raised attending a community of faith at a higher rate than the general American population. Okay, the next question. What percentage of the general American population do you think leaves their religious community after age at some point after age 18? 60? What did you say? 75? 80? Yeah, I was kind of surprised at this number because I used to do campus ministry. And when you do campus ministry, they say things to you like, not... Okay, how many people have heard, like, don't send your kid to, to second school because, you know, by second semester, three-quarters of them will be worshiping Satan. You know, those are the kind of things we heard about. Well, thank God somebody sent their Christian kid to secular school because that's how I heard the gospel. Um, but, yes, 27%. That's actually lower than I anticipated, right? Now, what percentage of LGBT people do you think leave their communities, their religious communities, after age 18? 75%? 30? 54%. 54%. So LGBT people are leaving their communities of faith at twice the rate of the general American population, okay? All right, why do I share all this with you? A, uh, basically, my, what I would call my life motto is seek first to understand. <laughs> That'd go a long way on Facebook, wouldn't it? <laughs> Seek first to understand. We need to enter into someone's experience in order to have compassion on them. We need to come from a place of understanding. Um, so let's go back to the rich young ruler. This very, it's very interesting. I have recently, when I read the story again, I had not noticed that he ran up to Jesus. This was not like a Zacchaeus, you know, the little short guy who saw Jesus coming and he climbed the tree. That was a moment of opportunity, that Zacchaeus fell into. No, this guy, this rich young ruler, as we call him, heard Jesus was coming. And that gives me the impression there that there was something already stirring in his heart that he needed to know. Not only did he run up to Jesus, he fell on his knees. It's a posture of submission. When was the last time you ran up to someone and fell on your knees? Maybe when you ask somebody to marry you if you're a man, <laughs> but a posture of submission. He just had to know. He had to know the answer to his question. And if we look at verse 32, it says that Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Do you guys know why they're on? In Mark 10, now there's 16 chapters in Mark, just so you know, we're more than halfway through. Why, why do you think they were on their way to Jerusalem? Passover. What happened after the Passover? 
he was crucified. And in fact, in Luke, it says um, Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem. He was a man on a mission. He was going. I'm headed to Jerusalem. And yet when this young man ran up to him, Jesus paused. (laughs) He looked at him and loved him and took the time to interact with him. So with this undercurrent of Jesus' deep love, what can we learn from the rich young ruler? Number one, our primary identity needs to be found in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Is there something about you that makes you feel like you? (laughs) Like there might be a number of things. I used to run. I ran marathons, and I can't run anymore. And anytime those pictures come up, like in my Facebook memories, oh, man, my heart Like, there's this longing in my heart. I've had my nose pierced for 30 years. I know that seems like a really strange one. But, like, when I became a Christian, which was 21 years ago, because now you're like, who cares? Because pastors have tattoos and piercings and all sorts of things. But back then, especially in a relatively conservative denomination, I was like, is it okay to have my nose pierced? And actually there's a passage, I believe, in Ezekiel um, that says, you know, because of God's great love for Israel, he put a ring in her nose. And I thought, oh, well, then I'm, I guess I'm okay. But, you know, those are kind of silly, <laughs> silly examples. But, you know, can you think of something that without it, you would just start questioning who you were? I went to music school. I went to one of the, at the time, one of the top three music schools in the country. And it was typical for God to put his finger on that instrument or whatever those people thought they were really created to do and say, do you love that more than me? So I wonder if the rich young ruler in this story was pretty settled on his identity. I mean, I read stuff into the story, but I imagine he's a young man, and he already knows this is my destiny. This is my story. Was this the family business? Was this something his grandfather or great-grandfather had worked hard to create? It was just assumed this is who he was. He was willing to run to Jesus. He needed to know, will I inherit eternal life? But he was unwilling to lay down that thing he built his identity upon, which was his wealth. Some of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while might scratch our heads and say, Jesus is awesome. Doesn't this guy know what he's missing? But some of you know exactly how this young man felt (laughs) because you've been there. There's something that God has asked you to lay down to follow him. When I began to walk in obedience to Christ in the area of my sexuality, I always say that my struggle with same-sex attraction was like a swarm of killer bees. I was like, ah, I'm going to be engulfed at any minute. How am I supposed to walk away from this? At a certain point, I, I realized I wasn't meant to be running from something, but running to someone. The only one who could define me and rescue me. Sam Albury says, when you encounter Jesus Christ, you are no longer defined by who you love. You are now defined by who has loved you. And you could say, or what you love. So one thing we learn from this story is to run to Jesus. Our primary identity needs to be found in Jesus Christ. The second thing we learn is that we have to trust in the character of God. (laughs) We live in a culture that tells us we must have certain things to be happy, to achieve contentment. A house, a good job, a a spouse, a partner, maybe some well-behaved kids would be nice. You know, and at some point, someone had lied to this young man and said he needed his wealth in order to be happy and fulfilled. 
Clearly, he couldn't imagine his life without it. And that's what I was told, except it wasn't about my wealth. It was about my, my sexuality, my same-sex attraction. You will never be happy if you don't come to peace with this. Now, right before this story in the Gospel of Mark is the story of the little children. <laughs> All right, so if we look at verse 15... If I stand right here, I can see it. Jesus were bringing little children, sorry, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Little kids trust naturally. <laughs> They're not jaded. They're not hesitant. They tell you exactly what they need. I have a 13-year-old who still does that, which is mostly a blessing. Um, <laughs> that he can still be that honest, right? It's not a coincidence that Jesus talks about the blind trust of a child. Literally, that is the verse I just read comes right before the rich young ruler ran up to him. Once Jesus answered this young man's question, though, the young man wasn't quite as eager to seek Jesus. <laughs> he couldn't trust that, that his life would be okay because God is trustworthy. You know, most would say wealth is a gray area in Scripture. I agree. It's not a sin to have money. Idolatry is a sin, though. <laughs> right? And we can all think of things in our life that, we, that inherently, in and of themselves... There's nothing wrong with them or having them, but they are if it becomes an idol. And we can assume from the context that whatever business plan this rich young man was following, he wanted to continue to follow it, no matter what the cost. God's design for sexuality is clear in the Bible. This is not a gray area. God created sexuality to be expressed between one man and one woman who have committed to each other for a lifetime in marriage. But this seems unfair to people with same-sex attraction. If we're putting ourselves in, our sh in their shoes for a minute here, we have to think about that. It seemed unfair to me. I became a Christian in January of 1999, and a year after, I had another lesbian relationship. I felt as if I was facing a choice, like Jesus was in one hand and all the possibilities that might come from following him, and in the other hand, I had this gay identity I had built my whole life upon. So Jesus, completely unknown territory, and the fear of the unknown is one of the most powerful forces. And my lesbianism, on the other hand, with its comfort, familiarity, and safety, and what I thought was my only chance at real love. How many people know who Cory Ten Boom is? Okay? She was uh, in her, about her 40s um, in the Netherlands during World War II, and her, a Christian, and a single woman who lived with her father and her sister, and they hid Jews in their home. They were caught. They were sent to a concentration camp. The Jews that were hiding in her home, as far as we know, they all survived. But many members of her family and extended family did not. She did. And she said, faith is simply trusting the character of God when life gives you reasons not to. Life will always give you reasons to question whether God is who he says he is and he will do what he has said he will do. 
And I wrestled with God. I asked him some hard questions because my experience of him differed from what I read about in this, in this book and what I heard other people had experienced. It really came down to this. Was I going to view my experiences through the lens of sound theology, through the lens of this book, trusting that my perspective might be skewed and inaccurate at times? Or was I going to interpret his word and view his character through the broken lens of my experience? (laughs) I, I had to start taking him at his word and wrestled with him. But the reality of the wrestling was I wrestled and he waited patiently for me to choose to trust that he is who he said he is and he'll do what he said he will do. That somehow it would all work out. That he wasn't withholding love and fulfillment from me with his design for human sexuality. That if I were single for the rest of my life, that it would work out. And if somehow he figured out how to make this same-sex attracted person work in a marriage, that would work out too. But no matter what, real love could be found in Jesus. So number two, choose to trust in the character of God when life gives you reasons not to. Because, number three, there is a reward. We continue on later in the story. It says, Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. We left everything. I left my fishing boat back there. (laughs) He He and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were business partners. I think that's in Luke 5, but... Don't quote me on that. You guys can look it up later. They were fishermen together. That's why Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not random. Right? How does Jesus respond to Peter? Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. (laughs) Let's just throw that in there. Don't think it's going to be all fun, okay? And in the age to come, eternal life. There's a reward. (laughs) But society had lied to us and told us in order to feel complete that we have to be in a a relationship. We have to be in a committed marriage. That that, that romantic love is the end-all, be-all. That's why we ask these questions of fairness. Because we have this idea. Jesus is saying, no matter what you have to leave behind to follow me, God sees your sacrifice is not going unnoticed. And that last relationship I had after becoming a Christian, my girlfriend ended it. And I decided this is it. I was going to be faithful. I was going to be obedient in the area of sexuality, no matter what it cost, even if it was everything I ever dreamed of. And it has been worth it. My, don't make a mistake here. My story isn't tied up in a neat little bow. That swarm of killer bees <laughs> has subsided. And now I, I still experience same-sex attraction. It's more like fruit flies. You know, it comes every once in a while, here and there, and I just bat it away and move on with my life. <laughs> you know? Um, and I mentioned I have kids. I am married. I've been married a while. <laughs> No, it's funny because yesterday I had a crazy weekend, but normally in the morning I write the date in my journal and I write what I read in the Bible. And if I had done that, if I hadn't been stranded in Connecticut because I had a flat tire on Friday night, I would have said, oh, it's the 17th. That's October 17th is the day my husband and I started dating 20 years ago. And we've been married almost 18 years. <laughs> but uh, And I am grateful for that, you know. 
Um, but there was no guarantee of any of that. Obedience is worth it. There is a reward. The reward for trusting Jesus, for trusting him for everything, for hope, for love, for fulfillment, for placing our identity solely in him. What is the reward today? Peace, joy, contentment, that he is enough. So there is a reward for our obedience, for our choosing to trust in this life and in the life to come. And number four, finally, love people. Love people. I love this account in Mark because he's the only one who records. And I don't know how much you guys know about the different Gospels. Mark is the shortest. It's extremely fast-paced. It's just story after story after miracle after miracle. It's written to more of a general audience. Like Matthew writes, my understanding is that he writes more to a Jewish audience, so he gives a lot of background there. Mark is just written, you know, Bam, 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 bam. Shortest version of Jesus, right? But he took the time to say Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him deeply. And I have to say, in the end of 98, when Christians started popping into my life, they just loved me. They pointed me to Jesus. They never took it upon themselves to point out my specific sinfulness or say I shouldn't be a lesbian. They pointed me to Jesus Christ and to his love. Because like everyone else, I was a sinner in need of Jesus in my life. I didn't need Jesus because I was a lesbian. I needed Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) I needed Jesus because I was living in a state of unredemption. And that was an obvious thing I was dealing with that showed I was a sinner. But what about your neighbor who has a really good life and he's doing well and his marriage is happy and his kids are well behaved? Does he not, does he need Jesus less than a lesbian? No. The answer is no. (laughs) And in this story, before Jesus puts his finger on that one thing that he knows is going to be hard for this man to hear. He pauses, and I imagine this deep pause as Jesus looks at him and loves him. And I have a friend who's transgender, and I remember her asking me a really difficult question. (laughs) Honestly, it was one I was hesitant to answer, even though it was one that I had been praying. God, I don't know if I was really clear on this, and I think this information is important, and I think she needs to know this information, So help me to talk about it. And she point blank asked me the question. But I was still like, when she asked me the question, I said, do you really want me to answer that? (laughs) And she said, yes. And I said, okay, then. We were actually walking. I said, okay, I'm going to need to sit down. So we we found a bench to sit down on. And I answered the question. And I prayed as I answered and prayed that she would hear all the love I have for her. And that us disagreeing on this, because I knew we were going to, was not going to end that friendship or end that relationship. Jesus looked at this young man and really loved him. That was important. It was important that he convey that first. So let's go back to our statistics for a minute. LGBT people leave their communities of faith for a number of reasons. Um, I'm going to share the top one in a second. But let's go to the next slide. What percentage of the general American... So 27% left. What percentage of the general American population do you think is open 
to returning to their communities of faith, to their religious communities? What percentage do you think? 75? 50? This is actually really sad. <laughs> you can put it up. 9%. 9%! That's really hard, isn't it? All right, well, what about LGBT people? Let's take a whack. What percentage of LGBT people do you think are open to returning to their communities of faith? 80? Well, you stole my thunder. <laughs> Go ahead. 76%. Think about the opportunities that lay in that number. And when asked, what would it take for you to return, what do you think they said? Acceptance? What did you say? Invitation? Anybody else want to guess? We think, it's, we think it's theology. We think LGBT people aren't willing to come to church because of the church's theology. Only 8% said my community of faith would need to change its theology for me to return. In fact, there's, I don't, this isn't part of my talk, but um, there's a statistic that says LGB, now this is a different study, so it's just LGB, there's no T on there. LGB people are two and a half times more likely to attend a non-affirming Protestant church than they are to attend an affirming church. So in New England, we have an affirming church would be the ones hanging their rainbow flags. All are welcome. They're two and a half times more likely to want to come here than to go there. I have a lot of theories on why that is, but they're all theories, so I'll <laughs> share. But the, re the number one response, what would it take for you to return? Feeling loved. I would need to feel loved. All right, and some of you are like, what, what do they mean by that? So let me tell you what they mean by that. Tasha, a 21-year-old lesbian living in Miami, Florida, said, if you let any church people read this, tell them I don't have to be right to feel loved. I have to be dignified in our disagreement. When, again, this would go a long way on Facebook, <laughs> right? We don't seem to know how to do dignified in disagreement. Ah. <laughs> so it's possible to love LGBT people and disagree with what their choices are, right? Let's go to the next quote. Kim, a 42-year-old lesbian living in Jackson, Mississippi, I hear God's love is the great equalizer. It's hard to believe it when I've never been told God loves me. Ouch, and it gets worse. <laughs> I think God loves me, but when I tried going to church a few years back, I sure didn't feel it. I think they're scared I'm going to cause problems because we might not agree. I don't care about that. I want God's love to bring me into the fold like it does with everyone else. <laughs> Can you imagine going to church and still being unsure that God loves you? I hope you all walk out of this room today <laughs> knowing that God loves you. So the core of this interaction between Jesus and this young man can be, can be summarized in this one point. Love people. <laughs> Make sure if you have LGBT loved ones or neighbors or cousins or kids or the person who makes your coffee every morning, tell them that God loves them. <laughs> That's really, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He can work out the rest. He loves them unconditionally and extravagantly. 
<sighs> so and choose to stick around. You know, I, I don't know how the story of my transgender friend is going to end. Except that God loves her. <laughs> All right. So for those of you who have LGBT loved ones, I hope you're encouraged. Maybe a little less hesitant and fearful to invite them to church. There are so many other good quotes in this book um, about people's experience once someone invites them to church. And sometimes you have to ask over and over and over again. And I hope you're encouraged just to see how Jesus loves us so deeply. And if anyone here happens to struggle with this or anyone watching at home, I hope you're encouraged too. Encourage that Jesus looks at you and loves you deeply, with no exceptions. No exceptions. Encourage that this place would take the time to have someone like me come and speak and share this with you. Not every church would take that risk. And I pray you're challenged. Challenged. Because following Jesus costs all of us everything. I'm so grateful to be here. You can go to the last slide, which I think there's one more. Hey, there I am. I have this book, Learning to Walk in Freedom. If you'd like to pick up a copy, I have ministry brochures. You can sign up for the newsletter. I have printed copies of my testimony back there. I would love to chat with you. And um, we do run support groups, both for family members, loved ones, and people who are experiencing it themselves. And right now, they are all virtual. (laughs) So it's a great time to find out more. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you, Brenna. This has been a message on, on my heart for quite, for quite some time. And when I met Brenna, it's probably been at least a year ago, maybe even probably two years ago. I said she's the one who has to has to come and, and talk about this and and uh, I I personally was amazed uh, we 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 had chatted on the phone about the statistics so I didn't give any answers because I knew the answers but um, that seventy six percent of those who left their communities of faith would be willing to return if they felt loved not that they felt agreed with if they felt loved. And we've been talking as a church that uh, our role is to love God. And I think Christians do that very well, right? We, we, we sacrifice time to show up at church and gather together. We, we make a uh, priority in our life to read the Bible and pray and learn and grow and, and come here and we sing and we raise our hands and we give our heart to God and, and we get passionate about that. And, and we're supposed to. It's awesome. But when we talk about learning to love people, sometimes we end up just gravitating to loving people who are like us, that we, un- that we understand. And the people we don't understand, well, you can watch social media to see where we go with that. And especially on Cape Cod, Right, I, I don't know, uh, I'm sure there's studies out there, the percentage of folks who identify as LGBTQ and depending on the region of the country, I, I think we have a high percentage here on the Cape. And that they would, they would come and they would, 
find a relationship with Jesus Christ if we loved on them. That's powerful. 76% compared to 9%. Holy smokes. So I just, I want to thank Brenna Kate for coming and, and uh, making us aware that love doesn't necessarily mean just we have to agree with. Love just means we need to treat people with respect and dignity and not leave them when they, we disagree. And that's really true for anybody, in all honesty, not just the folks in that community. Um, I have found this to, uh, her, what she said to be true. I, I have a friend who uh, is gay, and uh, um, he was invited to church by a mutual friend, and he showed up with a posse of his friends because he was afraid that we would mistreat him at church. And he came, and uh, uh, you guys may not have known he was, he was gay, but we treated him like any other person. And you know that, that he still, for the last seven-plus years, comes every year and visits our church. Because when he comes in here, there's no judgment. We love on him anyway. And uh, we've, we've, had, we've been able to have uh, spiritual conversations and things about God. And, and as Brenna said, well, you know, uh, every one of us in this room deals with a sin. And some of, uh, some of us, if you're honest about it, um, if you're struggling with it, you realize the intensity and the focus and the crying out to God it takes to overcome that sin in your life. Especially when it's been rooted maybe from a childhood error. And you hate yourself when you fall into it, and you're proud of yourself when you don't, and you, you have all this vacillating back and forth. And if you look at somebody who struggles with homosexuality through the same lens of, that you struggle with your sin that way, your world changes on how you, how you approach and minister and love on him. So I want to give you, an, uh, uh, we're going to close in prayer. Um, please uh, talk to Brenna on your way out the door um, and uh, su- support what she's doing. There's a lot of different ways. You can chat with her in the back, uh, but financially we can support her as a church uh, by taking up an offering. We're not going to pass the bucket, so to speak, uh, but if you feel compelled to support the work that she's doing through Alive in Christ, um, there's the box in the back. You can write a check, or you can do any of the various online options we have and, and just type Brenna in the bottom, and the church will, will know that that gift is to go to her, and we'll, we'll, we'll send her all of that financial support. Um, because what she's doing is important. Uh, and she does more than just shows up at church and speaks for 30 or 45 minutes. Uh, she does trainings. Uh, she does all kinds of things that um, as we progress as a church and learn how to love folks, maybe we'll be able to have her back for a training where we learn, uh, learn go a little deeper in this. In this topic, but uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for coming. I'm grateful for you coming in your interest. I hope that that you'll feel compelled uh, and to and given permission to love on people who who traditionally church has thought are are lost and not able to be reached and maybe shunned. That that I hope you leave this place armed with the fact like, hey, my responsibility before God is to love on them, demonstrate the love of God, and then verbally tell them that God loves them. And guess what? Your loving on them will, will put the, the stamp and the mark on the fact that when you say God loves them, they'll say, well, obviously this person's loving me, so God must love, 
be able to love me, right? It's different than when you're standing 50 feet away with a megaphone screaming at them that God loves you, but if you don't turn, you're going to burn, right? That doesn't communicate, well, I don't, don't think that your God loves me because obviously you don't. So treat people with dignity, treat them with respect, tell them God loves them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's your kindness that turns us to repentance, that it was that of your great love for us that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, as we've been showed today that there's a whole segment of our population who really would love to return to faith if they feel loved. And so, Lord, would you teach us to, to demonstrate the kindness and love that you showed us that brought us to repentance and, and caused us to find salvation? Would you, would you teach us, Lord, how to show that, not only to the LGBTQ community, Lord, but the, uh, anybody around us who's far from you? but especially the LGBTQ community. Lord, give us a place in our heart that loves on folks who are questioning their sexuality, that will lead them to you, that they would find a relationship with you, just as Brenna testified this morning that she found. And Lord, the whole confusion and the, and the, and the swarm of bees chasing and all those things, Lord, that we'll leave that to you to help and deal with and show, to teach us to love. Lord, we pray for, for, for Brenna Kate and the ministry that she's doing. We pray, Lord, that you'd continue to empower and to provide and to support and give her and her team everything that they need to do the work that you've called them to do. And Lord, we, we stand with her uh, in prayer and we stand with her financially, Lord, that, Lord, you would do a mighty work through the ministry there, not only in them as individuals, but, Lord, in, the, in their reach and in the effectiveness for the kingdom in teaching us how to show real love. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for you are good. In your precious name, amen. Men Church, God bless you. Please feel free, uh, buy Brenna's book, have a conversation uh, with her. Um, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. Oh, and then those are here who are here, uh, online folks, uh, this doesn't apply, but we have a little sandwich baggie with a, uh, with a uh, Lysol wipe in there. If you would just take a moment, pull that out, and just wipe the hard surfaces around.